Well, that was unexpected. Welcome to the fifth episode of the Gathering Space podcast. We've got to live and to love and to pay the rent. While we're waiting for more clarity on how to do that without destroying everything, we're going to spend some time making this podcast. We're here to heal our stories around worth, work, and making ends meet. Maybe you'd like some of that too. If healing justice is your thing, if in your heart there's no creativity without accountability, if a little tenderness around living, loving, and paying the rent is needed, then you're welcome here to gather a little space too. This episode of the Gathering Space podcast was recorded at 1 p.m. Mountain Standard Time on November 21st, 2019 in Calgary, Alberta. In preparation to record this month's episode, I listened to episode four and I laughed and I laughed and I laughed. I am not sure exactly what magical thinking uh, guided my preconceptions in that episode, but uh, one thing that I have learned between the dates of July 23rd and today is that there really is no such thing as harvest without reaping. So uh, yeah, I have been deep underground for the last four months, uh, working as uh, diligently and thoroughly as I possibly can, and there is just absolutely no way for me to go through uh, the fifth through eighth houses, um, and and be able to report back in language here on the podcast. I uh, materially was just too busy, and um, but more than that, spiritually, I I just did not have the powers of translation that I needed in order to share the things that I was learning uh, in each of those house spaces. I have emerged from the eighth house uh, with practice and process and clarity and trust. And I'm going to just trust that when it is time for me to share what I've learned or show what I know in those house areas, I will. And other than that, um, we're just going to keep going. So tomorrow, the sun ingresses into Sagittarius, and uh, that is the sign that is most commonly aligned with the ninth house. So tomorrow begins the um, our entry across the threshold from the interpersonal to the transpersonal uh, houses. And um, so we'll be moving into ninth house affairs and I thought okay well this is a great time to uh, return to this project also you know Mercury is uh, in forward motion and about to emerge from Scorpio as well lots of good things are happening uh, (laughs) to uh, encourage the continuation of the public part of this project Um, so, yeah, we'll do that. Um, before I do that, I'll, I will offer personal updates for folks who were following in the last four episodes. Um, I did, in fact, graduate with my degree. My divorce was, in fact, finalized. I did have top surgery. Um, it has been a, a time of, uh, of reaping, for sure. 
and uh, um, and also I have emerged from this time or through this time uh, into a spiritual expression that is funny. It was one of the first things ever whispered into my ear, the Shahada. Um, but uh, I have returned home uh, to Islam, uh, which is the religion of my father and my lineage on my father's side. And uh, as I said, it was what was whispered into my ear at my birth. And I'm not going to get into too much about it uh, other than to thank Sam Reynolds for uh, a phone conversation we had some months ago uh, in order to sort of uh, sit with or allow to sediment a sense of vastness about the self and also about the divine uh, and reconciling um, being a believer and a practitioner of an Abrahamic religion and uh, and an astrologer and and specifically actually being a, a practitioner of Islam uh, being a Muslim and what that means and uh, as I said I'm not I'm not going to get into too much of that I think right now I don't know I haven't really actually scripted this episode um, we'll we'll see what emerges but uh, I just wanted to say that that has happened and. Uh, it's been a, a deeply merciful thing, and I am deeply, deeply grateful uh, to have uh, found myself uh, in this particular ocean. And so with that, uh, I also want to be sure to uh, say at the start of this episode, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, and uh, I also want to ask forgiveness. Um, I mean, I want to ask forgiveness all the time for things that I've done or harm that I've caused, but because I'm broadcasting, uh, I want to ask a forgiveness for sharing things that may be incorrect or also sharing incomplete information, sharing things that I don't know. <laughs> um, I am definitely, uh, when I uh, record a podcast or I publish um, a status update in a project, I am mindful of sharing the very edge of the truth of all that I know. Um, certainly things get lost in translation, and certainly there's so much that I don't know. I'm just a speck of dust on this rock. And uh, I don't mean to, to belittle uh, humanity, really, but just, I mean, a single human life is, uh, is quite small. And, and uh, anyway, I'm certainly not, uh, as far as humans go, you know, not uh, uh, in any way, like, exalted among us, you know. So uh, I, I just, this is just... A humble offering um, because the learning of it is helping me uh, 
feel my life as more living and to feel more gratitude to Allah and to feel more access to the possibility of joy and liberation, um, love, those, uh, those expressions, those noble expressions, uh, uh, freedom. So, yeah, I, I don't know. Anyway, uh, yeah, so I, I just want to, um, to ask that forgiveness and, uh, and move forward from there. So, the ninth house. As I have it in um, my little hypothetical diagram uh, that I'm testing out through this project, the earth energy of enactment meets with the divine energy of expansion in the heart of the ninth house. And uh, through that makes the province of the ninth house about integrity. It is the province of the seeker. Integrity, I often think of metaphorical terms as the magnet uh, that runs vertically within each of us that calls self to self, that collects the self home. Um, I, I often, when I think of the word integrity, I really do see one of those like grade nine science experiment magnets, you know, it's painted red on one end and it's, uh, standing north, south. And I, and I don't know if you ever did this experiment in science. I, I don't know even actually if I have done this experience in a tactile way, or if I just saw it and it impressed upon me in a way that made me feel like it went through my hands, but you can take a, a magnet, um, a vertical magnet like that and put a piece of paper on top and then sprinkle iron filings on top of the paper and the filings will be drawn uh, to the north and south end of the magnet but also will sort of uh, create lines of resonance between the two and um, when I think of integrity that's what I think of I think of um, how we as humans taking in earth energy and divine energy, um, how we bring them together in our heart and how when we can align those energies and be both transparent and opaque enough to render something of those energies but not uh, be too much in the way of how they talk to one another, then we're acting in integrity. Integrity is what allows us to endure and endure in some contact with our wholeness, with the audacity of our birthright, um, even and especially when we are not held by others in dignity. What do I mean by that? What I mean is... Um, well, if integrity is like a magnet, I see dignity as like a, a bowl or a cup, uh, the bowl that even you make with your hands, you know, to drink water on a hot day. Um, 
And so when we're courting somebody with dignity, we're holding them in that energy, in that uh, keeping water from slipping through our fingers energy, just allowing the water to collect. When we hold somebody in dignity, um, we honor and accord and hold space for them in a way that allows all the disparate parts of their self to return home. And sometimes that can take a long time because uh, life, I mean, in the bang of it, um, scatters us to the winds. Uh, and sometimes we learn, I mean, right from the very youngest of ages that we have to cut certain parts of ourselves off and leave them by the side of the road and come back and collect ourselves later, you know, and so holding somebody in dignity allows somebody to be where they are at in the present moment, in the stunning present moment of shatter and scatter where the parts of themselves that are in and collected to themselves are there and also the parts of themselves that are scattered or in exile or far away are also there. But it is not often that we hold somebody in dignity, not in true dignity, and it is not often we are held in dignity. And I think dignity is so important um, that it has led to its own distortion socially, which is manners, right? If we're treating somebody with manners or with respect, um, that's that's like a the social interpretation of dignity or it's uh, whether we've consented to agreement or not, it is how we've agreed uh, to hold one another. And we're not even so great at that. Like I would say manners are to dignity what a single human life might be to the whole of creation. Like it's a it's an important but small and relatively insignificant, highly distorted distillation. Um, and we're not even really great at that. So you know what I'm trying to say? I don't know. What I'm trying to say is we're not often held in dignity. So often uh, we're seeking it. Uh, often we're expecting it. And often those expectations are broken. And that can lead to further disintegration of the self which can be really important. Uh, I mean, the principle of disintegration, uh, the principle of breaking down into like the tiniest atomic particles, into the tiniest elements in order to be taken up into new life. I mean, that is a, a divine principle. It's one of the 12 voices of creation as we see them in astrology. And I'll talk more about that when, when I start reviewing the individual signs. But the sign of Scorpio, which today is the last day of, is, is the, the song of separation and disintegration. And um, it's, it's part of the whole. It's an important part of the whole. The whole wouldn't work if not for disintegration. So I'm not saying we should avoid disintegration, but, um, and in fact, I think actually, isn't it, is it Pema Chodron? Yeah, I think in Things Fall Apart, she says something to the effect of, we expose ourselves over and over to annihilation, so that which is invincible, truly invincible within us, 
uh, can remain or be the only thing remaining. Um, and it is that, those little particles of invincibility, those things that are our most base atoms, those, those parts of ourselves that cannot be further broken down, that which is invincible within us, uh, that which within us is also, say, the spark or the home of the divine, um, that is what is attracted to this magnet, the, the integrity, the magnet of integrity or the integral magnet or the integral pull. And the reason that's important is because when we do get in the smash up, you know, even parts of that part of ourselves can be flung to the winds, you know, we can, we can leave very vital parts of who we are at the side of the road um, because our longing to fit in can become so um, so out of proportion with our our need and our birthright of belonging to the self and to the divine. So um, I am I'm tossing a lot of word salad out here, and I'm kind of I'm I'm tossing out four months of. Gosh, I thought the first four months of this project were intense. The, the last four months have been just, I, I, I could have never predicted the level of intensity and velocity at which I would be experiencing uh, this learning. So if none of this makes sense, then I do ask your forgiveness. And, and uh, you know, I, I'm just going to keep going with this record in the best way that I can because... It's what I'm called to do, and uh, uh, we'll see. It, I imagine this project is a five-year exploration, so I imagine it will probably take that long before what it is that I'm I'm trying to say here actually makes good sense. Um, in the in the meantime, you know, each of these episodes is like just like a little chamber of resonance, and uh, and so yeah, I'm wanting to share this about integrity, um, about how the ninth house and the project of the ninth house is what allows us to call ourselves home. Now, astrologically speaking, the ninth house is quite interesting. It is, uh, gosh, I, I don't have my notes in front of me, but the way that I remember the ninth house is that this is the house of the divine. Um, now in Hellenistic astrology, I believe they referred to this house as Oracle. And uh, this house was associated with, uh, with the divine uh, and also with things like long distance travel and publication. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and also with um, grand ritual as opposed to the third house, which is the more everyday ritual. And how do all these things come together? Well, you know, again, for the Greeks, it, you know, you, you would go see the Oracle at Delphi. You know, that's a that's a once in a lifetime trip. It's a it's a pilgrimage, uh, and uh, m many faith traditions um, venerate pilgrimage. And so, usually, you would undertake a, a harrowing journey in order to make pilgrimage, and uh, you were not necessarily expected to return home. 
so uh, that is part of it. Uh, that it's associated with the divine, uh, again, um, there are many ways to think through this, but um, this house, the ninth house, is one of the two houses that share the very top of the chart. So this house, the ninth house, is the cadent house at the top of the chart. There's something about this house that is about looking up, about aiming high, about vision, about loftiness, about um, taking aim and having such an, a keen awareness of gravity that one knows just how high to take aim to compensate for it um, without shooting off into the stratosphere. There's this sort of sweet spot about the ninth house. And I think as humans, we tend to get it wrong. We, we overshoot and undershoot a lot um, when it comes to the ninth house. And, and that's okay. <laughs> I mean, uh, it's our project, right? But I think it's that way about our integrity too. Um, we can uh, seek to call the self home and we can be in the midst of a very long journey of homecoming to the self. Um, and uh, we can overshoot that journey or undershoot it. We can ignore it. I, I mean, we have free will and uh, we will use it or through not using it, also use it. But, uh, um, uh, I just lost the plot there. I overshot. I overshot. Beep boop. Okay. I find myself wanting to speak about so much uh, in this moment. I am wanting to speak about astrological time or astrological relationships to earth time. Um, this is also known as the... Uh, I want to say the modalities. Um, so the wheel of the chart breaks into 12 pieces of pie. And these 12 pieces of pie are grouped in many, many different ways. Uh, astrology is is a, is a stunning, um, it's a stunning application of geometry, really. So, uh, it's, uh, there's a, um, an association of, um, that alternates between, uh, the houses, um, and the signs. Um, there's an association of, uh, positivity or negativity, and I mean that like the charges of a battery, like anode and cathode, not like good and bad, but anode and cathode or activity and receptivity. Um, there's uh, the elements of fire, earth, air, and water, and then there are these modalities, which the way that I think of the modalities have to do with our relationship to earth time, and those are um, angular, succedent, and cadent. 
So the first house is angular, the second house is succedent, the third house is cadent, the fourth house is angular, the fifth house is succedent, the sixth house is cadent, the seventh house is angular, the eighth house is succedent, the ninth house is cadent, the tenth house is angular, the eleventh house is succedent, and the twelfth house is cadent. In my way of understanding astrology and in my way of living it, uh, particularly over the last couple of years, I have come to s understand angularity as a relationship to time that most coordinates with earth time and human priorities. It's very Terran. And so because of that, the first, fourth, seventh, and tenth houses of the chart are given a, an, an, oomph, a, an energy of primacy, their um, they're venerated. Uh, they're also the houses of the angles. What I mean by that is um, the uh, the moment that you're born. Uh, that is the angle of the ascendant, and that will either, depending on how you structure your charts, that will either initiate the first house or appear within the first house. Uh, the IC, the Imum Coli, is the uh, the angle of the the deep below, the angle of the root, that will most often appear in the fourth house. I say most often because um, the that vertical angle, depending on how you calculate your charts, actually doesn't always land in the fourth house. Um, so uh, that's a bit of a technical detail, but it often does, and often the fourth house is associated with it. The Just as the the ascendant is always in the first house, the descendant always initiates and or appears in the seventh house, and then the midheaven most frequently appears in the, or initiates the tenth house, depending on how you cast your charts or um, what house system you're using, or appears in the uh, tenth house. However, to be clear, particularly if you are using a whole sign house system, the, the, IC and MC can appear anywhere from the third to the fifth house and from the ninth to the eleventh house. So uh, that's that's something to consider. But anyway, astrologically speaking, the angular houses are the most, we'll call them productive houses, or the houses also that are actually like the most conducive to capitalism, <laughs> for example. Um, the succeeding houses are pitch hitters. Um, they can work in the favor and supportive to the angular houses. They can work in favor and supportive to the cadent houses. And uh, also, I think they can work against their, they, they straddle these two states. Um, they're like, uh, you know, on a railway, uh, when a train is gonna, you know, switch tracks, there's like a lever that you pull and it changes the the track that the train is going to take, the succeeding houses are the lever. So um, there's something in them that can be activated and that is also activating in terms of of time. And I mean, that's, that's all I can really say about the quality of that for now. Um, the second, the fifth, the eighth, and the eleventh houses, they're really quite mysterious to me. Um, and so you know, I, I don't want to go any further on that note. I mean, if you're a practitioner or a student of astrology, you'll have your own relationship to the modalities, and I will uh, I will leave that to you. 
Um, and I'm sure as I uncover more during the course of the five years of this project, I'll have more to say about it, but that's what I want to say right now. The third, sixth, ninth, and twelfth houses of the chart, these are the cadent houses. Um, and actually, I've been reading a lot of John O'Donohue lately. I don't know if you've heard about him. Uh, you can, uh, if there's a podcast called On Being that's hosted by someone named Krista Tippett, and uh, I was first introduced to John O'Donohue through that podcast, and uh, I, I then started. Uh, uh, ordering uh, his audiobooks just to listen to his voice and and listen to his theology and his voice. Um, and John O'Donohue talks a lot about uh, chronological time, as in it is 1.34 p.m. in this moment, versus deep time. Uh, the Greeks would have referred to this as um, chronos and kairos, uh, chronological time and chironic time. And um, so I, the third, sixth, and ninth, and twelfth houses of the chart are are deep time, are chironic, are, and that chiron is K-A-I-R-O-N, not C-H-I-R-O-N. There are two uh, chirons, really. Uh, they're not unrelated, but just to be clear. Um, so those houses are in many ways out of time and um, people with heavy emphasis in the third sixth ninth twelfth house are uh, actually often you know thought of as a life in detriment to the project of say completing things but um, maybe advantaged to the project of advancing things uh, so the ninth house is in this deep time state and it is a house that threads through chronological time just as one's integrity, uh, one's indestructible selves and selves uh, thread through the course of a whole human life. Uh, the ninth house threads through um, through the chart. Uh, we can think of the entire chart as being the project of the the seeker, uh, really, uh, or the a sailor. Uh, there are a lot of a uh, lot of metaphors uh, throughout time that are applied to this. Um, the ninth house speaks to maybe a little bit the quality of the boat uh, and the tools of navigation and also the ability of the captain to steer that boat um, or to survive a storm. So, yeah. Uh, in my little imagining, uh, I just want to review because, I, you know, I can look at this wheel. I don't think I have posted a picture of it anywhere. I don't think so because it's all hypothetical right now. So I'm just speaking it. Um, but, uh, you know, I just want to review the province of each of the houses leading up to this. 
and um, the same way that I did at the start of this episode, because obviously I have not done the previous four episodes, so I just want to share that information. And then um, I'll speak a little bit more to the ninth house, and then uh, we're going to call it we're going to call it a day there. Uh, we're going to call it an episode. So to review the first house, the earth energy of vitality meets with the divine energy of life force in the heart. And, and that is the audacity of the miracle of, of life uh, here on earth. Um, in my hypothesis here, it is the, the heart and the circulatory system are the project of the first house. And when the first house is operational, um, like when, when I say operational, what I mean is when the house, the project of that house is acting within the being um, in a way that is enough for the being, then there's always just a little bit of something extra generated that gets kicked into the next house or that you know, uh, you, you get to carry with you like a little, like a little badge. And so worthiness is the, the remainder of that first house. Now, uh, I have to be really careful when I talk about things being operational. Uh, it's really easy to just revert into all kinds of dangerous and difficult languages, ableist languages, sanest languages, ideas of good and bad and failure and et cetera, et cetera. Um, the fulfillment of one's, say, divine blueprint, or uh, the activation, or the skillful application of what one was, you know, born into, that is not like something we just pick up, right? The, the whole point uh, is that we, we develop it over a lifetime. Actually, I'm now thinking of my teacher and dear friend, Jen, who gave us a, a meditation uh, quite a number of episodes back. Uh, she has a hashtag going on, and it's hashtag all in a lifetime's work. Uh, the idea is that we take the whole of our lifetime. So if we haven't like hacked into worthiness yet, that's, that is no failure. It's just that um, we can use worthiness as a bit of a barometer. Are we feeling worthy? Are we feeling a lack of worthiness? If we're feeling a lack of worthiness, maybe there is some way that we need to nourish ourselves, some vital nourishment that we can offer ourselves, right? Um, in, in, in order to feel that. So anyway, uh, there'll be more to say. And then since I'm on the, in proviso land, again, proviso to any medical astrologers who may be listening, I realize that the organs and bodily systems I'm associating with each of the houses, uh, you may really have disagreement about, and that's cool. I, I am not a medical astrologer. I know I, like literally nothing about it. I am just receiving this information and I am sharing this information and uh, I will seek to, uh, I will seek reconciliation with the tradition of medical astrology, but it's going to take some time. So um, for now, I just ask for, uh, for space and forgiveness and pardon. Okay. In the second house, we have the... Um, the earth energy of resource allocation comes to meet the divine energy of the joy of possibility. And uh, together, those things uh, work in the province of sustainability. In the body, I see this in the lungs. And when that part of the chart is operational, then it's confidence. We get to carry a little, 
a little tiny molecule of confidence with us. Um, that's the remainder. In the third house, we have the, the um, earth energy of daily practice without, uh, meaning the work of our hands or our daily habits and practices in the world, is met um, by the, the divine uh, inspiration and, and work of daily practices within. So when those two come together, we experience connection. Um, and that's held in the nervous system. And when that part of the chart is operational, we feel a sense of safety. In the next part of the house system, we take in the earth energy of ancestral transmutation. And that is met um, with the divine energy of ancestral reception. And when ancestral reception and ancestral transmutation are, are met, um, and, and that, that conversation, that dialogue is, uh, there are no barriers to communication in that dialogue. Maybe that's a better way to think about it rather than operational. When that dialogue is flowing, then what we experience is a sense of liberation. Uh, I have that as resting in the renal and urinary systems of the body. And when that dialogue is, is unfolding in an unimpeded fashion, then we get to carry with us a little bit of authenticity. In the fifth house, we have the, div the earth energy of creativity meeting the divine energy of creation. Um, when those two energies are dialoguing, we have practice, practice, practice. And uh, when that practice is in place, when that dialogue is flowing smoothly, then we get to carry just this tiny little kernel of courage. This molecule of courage is what remains. I see that uh, province of practice is happening in the uh, in augmentary system or exocrine system. In the sixth house, we have the earth energy of discipline meeting the divine energy of liberation. Uh, maybe not liberation, maybe actually freedom or free will. Uh, yes, free, free will makes more sense. So we're, we have the earth energy of discipline meeting the divine energy of free will. And when those two are in dialogue, what we get is process. Process. That happens in the muscular system. And when that dialogue is unimpeded, we carry forward a kernel of discernment. In the seventh house, um, what we have is the earth energy of consent meets with the divine energy of integration. And when consent and integration are in clean and clear dialogue with one another, then we're in the province of clarity. Clarity. And when that dialogue is unimpeded, we get to carry a little molecule forward. The remainder there is collaboration. Uh, I see this uh, conversation between consent and integration as happening in the, uh, the immune system. 
and the the to some extent the lymphatic system primarily in the immune system though which takes partly takes place in the lymphatic system is why they overlap but anyways um in the eighth house what we have is the earth energy of release is met by the divine energy of reveal and when that dialogue is happening uh what what we are operating in is the province of trust uh, i see that taking place in the digestive and excretory systems of the body and when that dialogue is happening in an unimpeded fashion then we get to carry a kernel of vulnerability with us and that brings us to the ninth house where we are so where the earth energy of enactment and the divine energy of expansion are coming together in the in the heart of the human uh, we end up having a dialogue around uh, integrity or in the province of integrity this happens in the endocrine system your adrenals your thyroid those things where particularly if you've given birth uh, those parts of the body that that uh, that can be uh, really really quite taxed um, and uh, when the dialogue between enactment and expansion is is uh, unimpeded and uh, uh, when we're really clearly uh, not in deficit or like using a credit card using our endocrine system like a credit card uh, then uh, uh, then the the kernel, the remainder is influence. We get to carry a kernel of influence into the tenth house, uh, that that traditional house of the mid heaven, which is where we show up publicly. So we show up as ourselves in our life, in the world, in the tenth house, where the mid heaven often is. Um, and I'll talk more about that in the next episode next month. Uh, yeah. So that those have been all the sort of building pieces I was really interested by the fact that basically from the first day of the fifth house until now the last day of the eighth house I really have been quite underground and the, the podcast has been silent as you've noticed um, and um, it made me think about this this thing in the chart about you know we have the personal houses the interpersonal houses and the transpersonal houses and you know we think of the houses as numbered one to twelve and the first four houses are the personal houses the next four houses are the interpersonal houses and the last four houses are the transpersonal houses and it's really easy to think of these things like in chronological time and that can be helpful when we conceive of them so often uh, we can t speak developmentally about the personal houses, interpersonal houses, and transpersonal houses, and we can associate them with age, like the personal houses are uh, for young life and the interpersonal houses are for midlife, and the, the transpersonal houses are for, for mature life. Um, but I think also it is helpful to think about them as pulling through in other ways. So... For myself, uh, I was, the, the transpersonal has always held a lot of appeal for me, and it's, it's as though that is the, 
the language of my first experience, if that makes sense. It, it took me a, a, a much longer time to have a handle on the personal houses. And one thing that I, I came to realize over the last four months is how, how unskillful I am in the areas of interpersonal relationship. And, and, and that's okay. Uh, like I don't, I, I am not judging that. I mean, in some ways I'm, sad about it because it means that I get hurt and I hurt others. Um, and it's, it's never with the intention. Like, I, I don't know that there are many people who set out to hurt me. And I know that I don't set out to hurt other people, but that the hurting happens. Um, partly because I think we're, we're all maybe a little underskilled in the interpersonal area of life. But, um, also, I think to, you know, my own brain and my own diagnoses and, you know, I'm a full spectrum individual, uh, and, um, which, um, is how I think of inhabiting the spectrum, um, that I'm full spectrum. And as such, I actually, I expend a great deal of energy trying to understand the interpersonal, trying to fit um, trying to offer and seek safety and, and with varying degrees of success, uh, you know, there are some people who are for me and some people who are not for me and I am for some people and I am not for other people and, and, and that's okay. Um, but it definitely, of the three sort of primary ways that, that the, that the, the houses break up, the personal, the interpersonal, transpersonal, it's, it's the interpersonal uh, that I am the least skilled at. And so it was, that's why I, I kind of, I started this episode uh, with a bit of a chuckle and that statement about how there is no such thing as harvest without reaping because in the last four months, I have really uh, had to do a lot of reaping uh, in the, the venue of my interpersonal relationships. And uh, I, I, I was gifted with um, so many layers of experience in that, that area um, that it, I, I mean, I literally couldn't even speak about it because there was so much happening all at once. So anyway, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm smiling to myself here behind the mic. Um, to think about how cute it is uh, to have gone through this, uh, I don't know, it's like a puberty maybe of the interpersonal houses. <laughs> it's what it feels like anyway. Um, which again, as a, a trans person uh, receiving hormone replacement therapy and, and having this sense of uh, what it's like to inhabit a, an a, a, like pubescence, but be past, you know, like chronological puberty, like to have this sort of second review, it's like puberty retrograde somehow. Um, yeah, I, it, it, it feels like it, it lines up, but, uh, um, it will take, uh, I think an amount of time and I guess, I mean, I, I have a lifetime to work on it, uh, to really sort of develop the skill that I would hope to have in that area of my life. Anyway, the ninth month, the ninth house, 
expansion, enactment, um, <laughs> the oracle, the publishing, the the um, long distance travel, um, these parts of life. Uh, it's it's the journey. One way to think about it is uh, the ninth as the cadent house at the top of the chart. The ninth house is the journey that we have set out on in this project of life, in this project of being born, uh, in this place and time, in this body, um, in order to show up as the self in the world, acting on the world. The ninth and the tenth houses, they, they, they are back to back. Um, they lean on one another. Uh, and it's, it's so tempting in our late capitalist time in particular to just jump to the 10th house, to just jump to showing up in the world and acting on the world. And, but of course, if we do that without um, collecting the self to the self, without having uh, trust in the self, without having clarity and the ability to discern without having a good sense of how we practice and how we process, um, then we jump into that 10th house with an amount of hubris. And uh, of course, the 10th house is it's a risky house, uh, showing up in the world as the self to enact on the world, to offer the self to the world, to offer ourselves in service to the world, which is what we're doing in the 10th house, which is sort of the, the, the chord that our midheaven resonates against, that is a, it's a risk. It's a risk to show up in the world. And then to do that with hubris um, means that the, the risk is there without, without a net. It's like walking a high wire without a net. And, and so um, the ninth house is what allows us to sort of weave the net underneath the high wire or to ensure that if we're you know, rock climbing that that our our climbing partner does in fact have us on belay to ensure that our equipment is uh, in fact well set. If we're you know trad climbers, to, to make sure all those cams are operational and, and set nicely. Or say, uh, I mean, there's so many metaphors, but those are the two jumping out. Um, the work in the ninth house is what allows us to catch ourselves when we fall, and we will fall. I mean, that's the point. That is the point, right? to fall, to fail, to disintegrate, to annihilate, you know, over and over and over and over and over and over and over until there's nothing left of our lives. And then we're in the what comes after. So, or I should say maybe what comes next, the what comes after, what comes next. So uh, if I could offer a wish, I would ask, uh, as we step into the time of the ninth house, um, which always, uh, this goes from November 22nd to December 21st, right? It, it actually takes us right to, uh, right snug up against the darkest or longest night of the year if we're in the Northern Hemisphere. Um, which I grew up in, so it's what's most resonant to me. If you're listening from the Southern Hemisphere, it just is really unfortunate, I think, that uh, Southern Hemisphere 
experience is always mapped on as like somehow near opposite to northern hemisphere experience i i think that's wrong and and so i try not to do it um which is why i'm speaking overtly about my northern hemisphere experience of this coming into the winter solstice uh the darkest night of the year um and i would like to i would love to be in dialogue with somebody from the southern hemisphere about how to map these concepts into a southern hemisphere experience which isn't just the mere opposite it's not how opposites work <laughs> i have learned there's a mirror and a flip there's a and 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 also there's a like they're related one to the other but they're also distinct so anyways uh what i'm trying to say is as the nights get longer the days get shorter the dark gets deeper the time gets less and less say productive and more and more cozy moving into this festival of light uh that we emerge into the 10th house with um i i wish the following let me see let me feel it one sec you're going to you're going to experience some radio silence here may we hold to each other in ways that are tender and generous enough to allow the self to come home may we release old story and revel in old story may we imagine new story without demand may we speculate with joy and whimsy and abandon may we come together after this deep and sacred time of falling apart may we celebrate we are alive we are loved we are all of us wholehearted